So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, or click on your devices to Matthew chapter 25. We're in our series of parables and miracles of our Lord. We've seen a lot of interesting truth in this series, the power of Christ and the teaching creativity of the Lord Jesus is quite remarkable. And today we come to the parable of the sheep and the goats found in Matthew 25, 31 to 46. Very quickly, let me review for us what is true of every parable. Number one, parables always teach from the known to the unknown. That's how they work. Number two, about one-third of all of Jesus Christ's teachings while on earth were in the form of a parable. It was one of his most favorite ways to teach. Number three, each of Jesus Christ's parables were given either to solve a problem or to answer a question. That's why each parable was given, to solve a problem or to answer a question. And then fourth, we must search any particular parable's context, the material that comes before it, to see what may have given rise to Jesus' parable in that particular case. And five, it's impossible for us to discover accurately the truth of any parable except we avoid the error of superimposing our time and our culture onto the parable. The the parable was birthed in a certain time, history, culture, situation, and if we rip it out of that setting and put it into our setting, we will miss and misinterpret what the parable is teaching. So with that background laid again, let's look at the parable of our Lord, the sheep and the goats, beginning Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes, Jesus is speaking, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say also to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
We need to do a little context setting as to the timing of this judgment that the parable teaches about. The next event we're expecting in the order of prophetic events is the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church. We read of it in 1 Thessalonians 4. That will kick off seven years of tribulation judgment on the earth. You can read about those years in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. The ending of the seven years of tribulation will be the second coming of Christ, different than the rapture of the church. They're different returns. The second coming of Christ you can read about in Revelation 19. The second coming of Christ will put the king in place so that the thousand-year millennial kingdom of, of Christ will be established literally on the earth for a thousand years. What will end the thousand-year kingdom is that Satan, who has been bound, will be released. And he will summon everyone who wants to uh, take away King Jesus and his authority over earth. And there will be a final battle that Jesus Christ will win by the word of his mouth. And that takes place, you can read of it in Revelation 20. After the final battle is the great white throne judgment, the judgment of all the unbelieving dead from all the eras of human history, one by one, coming before Jesus Christ in the great throne judgment to be judged according to their deeds. Because their names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, their sentence in hell, the degree of punishment in hell that they will have to endure forever, varies depending on their deeds that Jesus keeps track of in his books. After the great right throne judgment, the eternal state, or the new heaven and the new earth are ushered in and never, never, never end. You read about that in Revelation 21 and 22. And so what we have here in this parable of the sheep and the goats, it will occur after the seven years of tribulation. It will occur after the second coming of Jesus, but before the thousand-year kingdom launches. So before the kingdom that we're anticipating comes to earth, this parable teaches about a judgment, a sorting out of Gentiles who will be on earth at that particular time before the kingdom begins. And so there are three kinds of persons we need to see in the parable. Number one, there are sheep. We see that in verse 32. Number two, there are goats. We see that in verse 32. And number three, there is some group called my brethren. In the New King James Version, my brethren. In the NASB, one of these brothers of mine, Jesus said. Sheep, goats, and my brethren, also known as one of these brothers of mine. And so we need, before we actually go much further into studying this particular parable, we need to recognize there are three common errors that we want to avoid. Number one, seeing this judgment of the Gentiles as being the great white throne judgment. It is not. It precedes the great white throne judgment. It's not the same. The other thing we want to avoid, the error of thinking that a salvation by doing good deeds is being taught in the parable. It is not. And third error to avoid is thinking that this is a heaven or hell judgment because it isn't. It's not a heaven or a hell judgment. It's a millennial kingdom or a hell judgment. So these are three errors that we all want to avoid as we come to try to understand this parable. Now, we have to ask ourselves, what situation, what question gave rise to the Lord Jesus' teaching about sheep and goats? Well, let me just say that, to answer that, back at the time of the parable, 
the Jews who were paying attention to the Old Testament scriptures knew that the day was in fact coming when Messiah would have a kingdom and when certain Gentiles would join the believing Jews living in that kingdom. Perhaps they didn't like it, but they acknowledged it. They were aware of it. The Messiah's kingdom was coming, and there would be some Gentiles who would enter that kingdom along with believing Jews. Those who knew their Old Testament scriptures knew that. There were certain Old Testament covenants and certain Old Testament prophets that revealed this, that as unlikely as it may have seemed, some Gentiles will actually get into the eventual kingdom along with believing Jews. That being said, the question that gave rise to the parable was this. What is the basis upon which certain Gentiles will qualify to enter the kingdom? And the Lord Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats answers that question. The basis upon which some Gentiles will come into the kingdom and other Gentiles will not. And so when we start to actually look at the parable together, we initially see some terms we must define. In verse 31, we see the term the son of man. That's in verse 31. As early as the Old Testament, this is a name for Messiah, the son of man. And it happens to be the Lord Jesus' favorite name for himself. He called himself by this name more than any other name. Still in verse 31, it says that Something comes, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory, comes means here, uh, comes back to earth from heaven. This is, as I said earlier, the second coming event and not the rapture event. And then still in verse 31, it says he's going to be coming in his glory. This is the fact that Christ's glory at the second coming will be visible to all mankind on the whole globe. And it was this very same glory that was manifest at the transfiguration event. But at the transfiguration event, only three persons saw this glory. But when Christ comes back a second time, not in the rapture, but in the second coming, every person on planet Earth will see his glory. Next term in the verse, verse 31, his glorious throne. This is a literal throne. This is David's throne, and this is in Jerusalem. And Christ's future reign as king of the globe is going to be real. It's not going to be some ideal. It's not going to be realized spiritually in the hearts of redeemed persons. Christ's coming Rule as king is going to be literal from a literal throne in Jerusalem, a throne that David and his descendants have sat upon. What a glorious throne. And then it says in verse 32, a reference to all the nations, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates sheep from the goats. The nations is a way of saying in Scripture, and particularly the, the uh, New Testament, that it's a reference to Gentiles. All the nations, the Gentile nations. So right before Christ's kingdom on earth gets established, King Jesus will assemble all of the world's Gentiles. Only Gentiles, not Jews at this point. 
And he will judge each Gentile person at that time on earth, one by one. And the simple outcome of this massive judgment of Gentiles that King Jesus will have will be a judgment that some of these Gentiles are sheep and other of these Gentiles are goats. And quite simply, the sheep get into the kingdom and then into heaven, and the goats are turned away from the kingdom because they're sent to hell. Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. So we'll please notice that the defining things, two things, which will make one Gentile, one Gentile a sheep and another Gentile a goat are two things. Number one, how that particular Gentile treated individual persons who Jesus called these brothers of mine in the NASB or my brethren in the New King James Version. That's the first basis of judgment. The second basis of judgment is whether or not the tribulation time Gentile, being judged, trusted Christ alone for his salvation or her salvation. So please follow closely as you already are. After the rapture of the church, the next prophetic event we anticipate, some Jews will not be saved yet at the time of that rapture. And so they will enter into the seven years of tribulation, and many of them, because of the working of God in their hearts and the adverse conditions around them, many of them will be converted to Christ in the tribulation. And because of the awful persecutions of the tribulation time, these converted Jews will really, really, really need care. Jesus' term about them, these brothers of mine in the NASB, and also known as my brethren in the New King James Version, refers to the converted Jews who will be in the tribulation, who will require a lot of care. They will need a lot of care because they'll be hungry, according to verse 35a. They'll be thirsty, according to verse 35b. They'll be strangers, according to verse 35c. They'll be naked, according to verse 36a. They'll be sick, according to verse 36b. And some of them will be in prison, according to verse 36c. So let me expand this a little bit more. These needy individuals who are Jewish, how they get into that situation will be, in the tribulation, they will hear the preaching of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists who would be ministering in the tribulation. We read about them in Revelation 7, verse 4. These Jews will hear the preaching of the 144,000, and they'll trust Christ to be redeemed in the same way that we trust Christ to be redeemed in this church age. Then these new believers in Christ, Jewish, in the tribulation, they will refuse to take the mark of the beast. We read about that in Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. And that refusal to take the mark of the beast 
will cause them the hardship of not being able to buy or sell at all, at all. Of course, that extremely tough commercial restriction will bring about hunger and thirst and estrangement and nakedness and sickness and imprisonment, which is exactly what Jesus refers to. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And so let me step back from the parable for a moment. In the tribulation, there will be a very high cost to being a Jesus follower. But we need to understand and not be naive that the time could very easily come to the commonwealth of the Bahamas when there is a high cost to being a Jesus follower. We very easily will need each other then even more than we do now. Gay marriage, the LGBTQ agenda, transgenderism, Marijuana, abortion, pedophilia, etc. They are all circling around our churches. They are circling around our homes. They are circling around us as individual persons. That being said about what could very easily happen in the Bahamas, May I remind you that right now, today, there is an extremely high cost to being a Christian in China. Pastors and congregants are being imprisoned. Church buildings are being dynamited. Informants are being paid a lot of money to tell the Chinese government where the Chinese Christians are. Canada, my country of birth, The cost of being a Jesus follower in Canada is skyrocketing. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has gone on public record calling evangelical Christians. Notice he doesn't say Christians. He's out for evangelical Christians. He said that evangelical Christians are the worst part of Canadian society. And in Canada... The LGBTQ agenda must be embraced by any organization that expects any government funding. If it doesn't happen already, the movement is to take away the registered charity numbers of churches who don't affirm the LGBTQ agenda with the intent of choking them to death financially and killing them. Currently in Canada, there is a bill, Bill 89, that can justify the removal of children from Christian parents who oppose transgender ideology. Being a Christian, whether in the Bahamas or in China or Canada, it costs now 
It will cost more leading up to the rapture, and it will cost supremely in the tribulation, for that is a time when Christians will be killed passively or actively. And so we go back to our parable. Apparently certain converted tribulation-time Gentiles will respond to the needs of the tribulation-time converted Jews, while other unconverted tribulation-time Gentiles will not respond to those needs. And the parable teaches that the proper response will render some Gentiles as sheep and fit to enter the thousand-year kingdom, but the non-response will leave other Gentiles goats and unfit to come into Christ's kingdom. Now, it's significant that the Lord Jesus Christ equated himself with the future converted tribulation time Jews. He said, if you didn't do it to them, you didn't do it to me. If you did it to them, you did it to me. He equated himself with these future converted Jews in the tribulation. You know what that tells me? That he knows about what you suffer. And he cares. Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then verse 45, Jesus said, Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Jesus cares about you and me. Maybe a contrasting between the sheep and the goats will be helpful at this point. The sheep are Gentiles who are saved in the tribulation. The goats are Gentiles not saved in the tribulation. The sheep are served the Jews in love, and the goats serve themselves with the mark of the beast. The sheep have a place in the kingdom prepared, verse 34, but the goats have a place in hell. But you notice it's not prepared because places in hell are only prepared for Satan and demons. Revelation 20, verse 10. But according to verse 41, they have a place in hell. The goats do. The sheep inherit the kingdom, verse 34, but the goats will not get into the kingdom. The sheep will be put on Christ's right side and the goats on Christ's left side, according to verse 33. The sheep are bid by Christ to come, verse 34, but the goats are told by Christ to depart, verse 41. The sheep called the righteousness, the goats are called the accursed ones. The sheep have a final outcome of eternal life, according to verse 46, but the final outcome for the goats is eternal punishment, according to verse 46. And so the parable of the sheep and the goats, earlier in the sermon I said that it was a question about the basis upon which certain Gentiles will be allowed into the future kingdom that gave rise to the parable of the sheep and the goats. Now, having studied the parable a little bit with you, we can observe that certain believing Gentiles 
will be allowed into Christ's kingdom. Why? Based on their kind treatment of suffering Jewish believers who will live alongside of them in the seven years of tribulation. Which brings me to some takeaways. So what? What difference is this to make in my life? Seven things. Number one, we need to remember that there is reward either granted or withheld even in the overall economy of God's grace. Number two, there is a kingdom coming. And it's a literal one. God will keep all of his kingdom promises made in the Old Testament. We are not amillennial as a church. We do not believe that we should not look for a literal millennial kingdom. We do not believe that the only kingdom of Jesus Christ will be in our hearts. We don't believe that. We believe a literal thousand-year on earth visible kingdom is what the scriptures teach. And a delayed kingdom does not mean a canceled kingdom. Number three, we are not yet in the promised literal kingdom. Do you see God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven? We're not yet in the promised literal kingdom. Evil is not yet forcibly prevented. Bad guys still get away with plenty of wickedness. God's will is not yet done on earth as it's done in heaven. Jesus Christ, the king, hasn't yet returned to earth to rule it from David's throne in Jerusalem. We're not yet in the promised literal kingdom. Number, number four, persons will be able to accept or to reject Christ as Savior while living in the coming tribulation. Persons who are in that tribulation will be able to either trust Christ as Savior and have intensified persecution for doing so, or they'll be able to reject him as Savior and go along with the flow. Christ will remain the point after the church is airlifted off planet Earth. And actually, Christ is forever and ever the point. He never stops being the point. Heaven is heaven because the Lord Jesus Christ dominates all of heaven. If it were somehow possible to have all that is heaven but without Jesus, it would fail to be true heaven. Number five. Currently, Christ pays very careful attention to how we help persons who are in need especially those who probably will never, ever be able to pay us back. Boy, are there plenty of opportunities every day in Nassau. Some are very legitimate that we should help. Others are not legitimate, and we need discernment to tell the difference between the two. There's a little chorus that John W. Peterson wrote that called Cups of Cool Water, healing the widows and orphans in their needs, healing the sick ones and binding hearts that bleed, feeding the hungry, this we must surely do. By this we serve him and demonstrate his love. 
Cups of cold water given in Jesus' name. Cups of cold water are never given in vain. Someday in heaven, when we meet the Lord, each deed of kindness will bring a rich reward. The sixth takeaway of seven, God is not done with the Jews. If you hear any Christian make the assertion that God has written off the Jews, they are wrong biblically. The Lord has not given up on the Jews, and we should be very grateful he hasn't, because if he could give up on the Jews, he could give up on us. But he doesn't give up on either. He will bring salvation to believing Jews in the tribulation time, and he will reward converted Jews, the sheep, who help the converted Jews, these brothers of mine in Jesus' terminology, my brethren. He will reward these. He's not through with the Jews. And the church does not equal the Jews. (laughs) They're different. Number seven, God is going to judge the world. First, he's going to judge Jews, and that'll be prior to the thousand-year kingdom. And then second, he's going to judge Gentiles in the event that the parable talks about today, prior to the thousand-year kingdom, the sheep and the goats. Christ is going to judge all persons of all times who have not been saved from their sins in the great white throne judgment event of Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15, which occurs prior to the new heaven and the new earth or the new eternal state. And so ultimately, no one, no one who is outside of God's salvation in Christ by their own choice, no one ultimately will go unjudged. Bad won't win. Justice won't be thwarted. Crime will not pay. In the end, nobody gets away with anything when they lack Jesus Christ as their Savior. The parable of the sheep and the goats. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you were, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick? Or in prison? And come to you. And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, 
even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not care of you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We pray. Lord, it could not be more clear that you have a future for Israel, that you expect those seeing that future being unfolded to care for them and to help them. Lord, many, many things we see here in this parable, but thank you that by equating yourself to the future time, tribulation, believing Jews, that you care for us. Lord, help us to be large-hearted, generous and discerning as we seek to represent you well in a culture where the cost of following you is only rising. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.